Hello, and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I am in the frozen wasteland of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I've had too much caffeine. It makes me talk a little bit too loud. <laughs> also joining us is the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Good to be here. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Hello, and the frozenness of Chicago even hit us. So thanks for that. I believe you're operating under the assumption that all cold originates in Chicago, which I'm willing to believe after the last couple of years. Yeah. It's it's amazingly, amazingly cold here. Yeah. I was downtown the, earlier in the week, and I kid you not when I say all water is frozen. Yeah. Yeah. The river is frozen. Lake Michigan, as far as the eye could see, was not only frozen, but frozen and covered in snow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's it. What it does is it freezes your hopes and dreams. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's exactly right. It was so cold that for the first time ever, we had a jet engine at the bridge just to stay warm. That's, That's exactly al- right. <laughs> almost exactly, precisely what we we were shooting flames at our meeting. It's now, true. I'm gonna explain this real quick. There's a thing called a forced air heater, which is designed specifically for outdoor construction sites <laughs> in the winter. So we bought one of those, hooked it up to the propane tank, and took it inside the church where we have the bridge. <laughs> Which is probably totally safe. Sure. And it is literally, Glenda's not exaggerating, a metal cylinder that is filled with fire. Yeah. And then it pushes air over the fire and out. So is this, air. The, is this the only worship service ever with a flamethrower? I feel confident in saying Actually, that. I Actually, I, I can say for a fact that it is not. Because I've heard a story of a megachurch right here in Chicago where uh, a gentleman pastor was giving a sermon about the Pentecost. No. No. Which involved a blowtorch fired into the air. Serious. Lord. To, here's the thing, and I I, I don't want to get sidetracked this too much, but as I said to my friend Austin, who was telling me the story at the time, Austin, the point of a visual aid is if we in the audience can't in our mind imagine what that thing looks like, Right. So maybe we're all good on fire. If you're preaching to cavemen who have not yet invented <laughs> sure, fire, sure, sure, yeah. and that's the that's the real missional work is time missions. Maybe use a little discernment about what you're seeing on. Sunday. <laughs> if you just say fire, everybody in the room has that. Yeah, we we you don't need that. to fire up the blowtorch. We've seen it before. We, yeah, we used fire more responsibly than a suburban megachurch. There you go. <laughs> wow. All right, well, before we get started, uh, we want to give a shout-out to some folks. There is a group in Charleston, South Carolina, I believe at the College of Charleston, who does a Say That Small Group, which is both awesome and inadvisable. And on that basis, I declare an emergency! Uh, uh, Okay. Can can I read their names before you do the emergency so we can make sure we get that in? Uh, Whenever, Whenever Glenn declares an emergency, he says it as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. Well, I think maybe you got to slide it in there. You could read them, but in a really panicked way. All yeah, right. Could you do that? <gasps> David Lauren Joel, Amy Mia, Laura Kelsey. Okay. Emergency, go. I feel like probably these people feel like they weren't given enough airtime based on that. So that seems a little rude, but okay. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, I think you heard all their feelings. Here, here's what I'm. Because here's the thing: is this is a, a from our understanding is we have people who listen to this podcast. And there's, there's a Bible study around it yep. involving David, Lauren, Joel, Amy, Mia, Laura, 
and Kelsey. King, you just got served, son. <laughs> That's how you do it. You now, want here, the NPR read on me there, did you, Fitzgerald? Absolutely. Now, here's the thing about that is they're, we're presuming that later they'll be listening to this. Right. And here's the thing is they're used to listening to the podcast and enjoying it sort of vicariously. Sure. But now right. it's like... It's like real. They're up in it. I think the fact that anyone enjoys this show may be an assumption that's a little too far. Yeah. It's like we're talking to them directly. Yes. You know, it's like sort of a, you know, like a creepy thing where like now it's in your living room. Sure. Sure. So we could say some creepy things now that would creep them out when they hear it. Like you want to say creepy things directly to each of them? Yeah. That's kind of what you What would you suggest? I can't say so much how we should not do that. While you're feeding the card, looking at her name, I want to point out, I'm going to give you people a peek behind the curtain every time glenn gets complimented about this show <laughs> it freaks him out enough that he immediately tries to find a way to make it as creepy as possible sure <laughs> like when our friend leah came to the bridge with her say that t-shirt and we were all very excited she wanted a picture as did we we thought it'd be great so jen and i who yes. were bad people don't get me wrong yeah. and don't like being in pictures but we you know sucked it up and did a smile and, t- right. and glenn just goes we should take the creepiest picture possible so we can put it online and then no one will ever want to come again. Yeah, I did do that. Yeah, that's accurate. All right, go ahead, Brewer. Hey, 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 Joel. We've been thinking a lot about you lately. Just really glad to, to hear from <laughs> started you. With, started with a guy's name. Safe bet. Good choice. Good call. You know, we just, uh, yeah, it just means, <laughs> means a lot to us. No, don't you laugh. This is your idea. Have you? Don't you distance yourself from this at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it seems a little inappropriate, but okay, if See, that's what you guys want to do. I didn't even say anything. Right, that's, yeah. That's uh, asking, take this away from you. That's asking, how you. Asking Jed to do something inappropriate on purpose just takes it up to a whole new level. What's up, Amy? Hey, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't help but notice you there. Don't think we've left you out, Mia. <laughs> and Laura and Kelsey. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, of gals in this in this thing because here's what I'm looking at the list now. David is it, that's L- Lauren and David are boyfriend and girlfriend. So you got Joel. Maybe he's with Amy. Well, I don't know. Don't because speculate. We got four gals to one Joel. That's that's not a lot of Joel to go around, dude. That's what I'm trying to say. What's yeah. the dynamic here? We need the info. Yeah, totally. We got totes. <laughs> Really, Jen? Totes. Are you? You're going with totes. No, I'm going with totes. I, I think we're throwing a flag on totes. <laughs> but here's what I'm saying. I because uh, this thing goes deeper. Okay, lay it on me. Uh, what they they gave us? What they? The, it's basically a nerd care package. It is a nerd care package. And what it is is they put nerdy things into it. Which is the coolest thing of all time? Absolutely, it's great. We're going to do a quick inventory here. We got Go several. Very old school science fiction paperbacks. Do we have a Robotech book in there? Robotech. That is hardcore. We got Bio of a Space Tyrant. Okay. Piers Anthony. Dude, 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 dude. You're missing the byline. Caligula of the Stars. Whoa. <laughs> we got The Beastmaster. Yeah. Someone might be getting sued over that. Yeah. The Beastmaster. You must master the beasts. Or my beast will master me. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're going to say, isn't it? Stop, stop it. Stop it, all of you. So we got a few more of those. Those are the best titles. And then you got the Ultimate Doom CD-ROM game for Windows 95. Yeah. 
Here's so, where somewhere there's a used bookstore in Charleston, South Carolina that has been totally bought out of its nerd stuff. Now, here's what I'm trying to say about this because uh i you know i unlike the other guys on this podcast i'm not a, a huge nerd really and, and i'm just on, gonna dude. i'm gonna say some words okay i'm just gonna put some words out there say the words let, let me hear you deny them bollywood i do, <laughs> i do listen and watch i listen to the music and watch the movies of, of bollywood more than the average person not from india bbc that, history magazine podcast that is nerdy. I, I, I am a history nerd. I'll give you that one. <laughs> to be fair, I listen to that one too, but I'm not claiming to not be a nerd like some people. Here, here's what I'm saying. I'm I'm You notice how quickly that subject got changed? Yeah, I did. Here's what I'm saying is I'm much, much, much less of a nerd than everyone else on the podcast. Well, and that's fair. On that basis, I'm trying to, you know, kind of puzzle it, it seems as though they're trying to send us a message. Of maybe like they appreciate us, so they send us a care package to you know communicate. Well, that they I care see about on the us. card that uh, Kelsey wrote, "Thanks, say that," and I think that's the message. I don't think yeah. there's any subtext there. Okay, no. uh, all right. Uh, you clearly y'all don't get it. Okay, this is these are nerds. This is what nerds call first contact. <laughs> okay, they're I trying think if, to. I think if there are any hardcore science fiction nerds in our audience, and I know there are, you've angered them by mentioning a very crappy science fiction movie. Yeah, <laughs> Matthew the Matthew McConaughey is the one you went for. Understand, I was the the guy in the, the the store. This is a true story. Yesterday in Best Buy with my wife, who wanted to see the Star Wars movies so that she could understand it, and asked the guy. Is do you have a copy of the Phantom of the Menace? Okay, actual thing. But here's what I'm trying to say: Is that Star Wars as written by Andrew Lloyd Webber? Because I would watch the crap out of that. Possibly. <laughs> Just a, a, a lot of you know, Darth Vader in the basement playing the organ. Exactly. But here's what I'm trying to say: Is we're recording this now. Sure. Okay. And you think well, are, are people listening to it now? Well, no, they're not. That's not sure. how this works. These people that are listening to say that podcast, they're listening to the podcast in the future. Okay, here's what I'm asking myself, and just see if you can get your mind around it, because okay. I know this this is physics. Sure, okay. sure, there's a lot. But what if they have seen something in the future, and they're trying to send us a message? Can I see that that uh, catalog of books? Can we pass it over? Because we got to decode that message okay, right now. Sure. First, in the meantime, I will point out that I don't think you know what physics is. Okay, and also as since I assume that uh, Jed is going to create something very inappropriate out of these, I'm going to remove Beastmaster from consideration. <laughs> well, look, just we to got, make that task a we little got harder. six paperbacks in here. I think the clear thing is to read every sixth word and see what the message is. We okay. can do that. Okay. Do that. Are you one of those people who feels that they can? Uh, Figure out when the end times is going to be based on code. The Absolutely. Bible code. N numerology, clearly. Sure. Well, I think we got to go with uh, uh, the book that advertises itself as the Caligula of the Stars. Go for it. Because if there's any book that I think really, any character that would really speak right. to all of us would be Caligula. Absolutely. So I'm going to turn. Here's what I'm going to do. I just, once appoint, just, tried to appoint my horse to high political office. I've turned to page 66. Right. Um, now... I will proceed to read every six word. Okay. Run. Not. The. Whoa. Clumsiness. Yes. It's coming together. Flexible. Yeah. Spraddle-legged. 
No. Yes, that's the, that's the sixth word. No, I'm saying stop reading. <laughs> Hurry. Yeah. Okay. And let, let me. I'm going to read. Um. Er, er, I'm going to turn to page 66 of this book and see what it says. I'm very worried that listeners sent us a book that it contains the phrase "flexible straddle-legged." <laughs> okay, this one. I hear all this time. I thought we were a bad influence on the listeners, and maybe the other way around. You should beware of robots. Whoa! Oh my! Whoa! I I think that might be slightly manufactured, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Where's that even coming from? Let me try and tell you what. Let me ask you a question and see if you just, what do you think of this? Tell me. They sent us a, a CD-ROM right. of a game, and what's the name of the game? Doom. Doom. Okay, hello? Yes. Do you, do, are you getting the message now? <laughs> yeah. They're trying to send us a message from the future. Okay. And it's Beware of Robots. Okay. That are straddle-legged? Well, no. no. Stop it. Technically, I think Doom is about guys who are mining on Mars and, and uh, created a, a pathway to hell that demons came through and attacked the base. Uh, so it, it might it might have more to do with being aware of Martian demons. Again, I'm going to circle back to the part of who's the most nerdy here. Yeah. I'm maximum strength, dude. Because, you know. But I, I think there's a chance that we have a message here we need to heed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure what it is. Well, we got to figure out which one of us, you know, is the prophet and has the gift. Oh. And I think it may be Glenn Stradamus. Yeah. <laughs> sure. If I drink more caffeine, is there a chance I'll go into sort of a fugue state and get sort of a, a, a hallucinogenic vision? <laughs> so only Eventually, one way to find out. you won't go straight to fugue state. <laughs> there will be some steps in between that. You might you might think you're a hummingbird for a little while. <laughs> Try to drink nectar out of Jed's head. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well be- before that happens, I shall declare emergency off. Emergency oh, off. Thank the Lord, dude. Uh, thanks to all y'all in, in Charleston, man. That's so cool. We love y'all. We're really really glad to hear from you. And message received. <laughs> Again, really anytime not, there's a but... nice moment. Involving the podcast, Glenn feels the need to immediately ruin it. Thanks, Glenn. uh, Very cool thing. Um, We want to take a moment real quick to uh, remind you about Bridgebox because occasionally you just got to sell some stuff. Yeah, capitalism. Woo! Go for it. All right, so you guys heard us talk about Bridgebox. You got songs, sermons, videos. Uh, And this month, there's a very cool song that you probably have seen on Tumblr. It's gotten a lot of plays by... It's a song that Jed, that Lee wrote and Jed produced, and it's performed by our friend John Jackson. It's an awesomely cool track. I think we'll throw that in the end of this episode to give you a little taste. It's really one of the cooler tracks we've done for Bridgebox, and that's saying something. But a lot of cool stuff to help you with your walk. Each month is centered around a question. Uh, also, we have our Bridgebox Lee Younger branded version. You get brand new exclusive music Ooh. from Lee, some other uh, writings and cool stuff. And every month, Lee handpicks some stuff from previous bridge boxes to kind of feature on his own thing, which is a lot of fun. You can get either of those for $8 a month, or you can email me, Matt, at MissionUSA.com and get both for $12 a month. Go to MissionUSA.com slash BridgeBox or MissionUSA.com slash BBLY. And for the rest of this month, if you've heard about BridgeBox, you think it sounds neat, you're not really sure 
uh, how that experience works, you can go to missionusa.com slash say that 100 and get a free version of our April 2013 bridge box to try out, download stuff, play it. That's all yours to keep. It's all digital rights free. Download, share, enjoy. And if you like it, think about signing up missionusa.com slash bridge box. All right, we're going to move to our first question here. It came in to our Tumblr from our friend Walking on My Path. It says, Recently, I felt God telling me to love myself and people. But what does it mean to love myself? Does it mean to love my talent or my character? I find it hard to love myself. Glenn, can you kick us off? Absolutely. And I think this is one of those things of uh, sort of uh, modern culture where we talk, we use this term, this phrase, loving myself. And I think people get a little confused of what that's all about. Um, I think what we're trying to do when, when we're living a Christian life is to move out of a world where our self is the center of the universe, uh, where mm-hmm. we're focusing uh, our, our life and our attention on serving God and, and being, uh, you know, uh, uh, making ourselves subservient to, to God in that sense. Um, but that doesn't mean that we uh, mistreat ourselves or look down on ourselves or in some way uh, deprive ourselves of, uh, you know, all the stuff that we need to, to have a healthy, balanced life. So we're often stuck, I think, in the language of this of, of how do I get past this self-focus? And, and let me just quickly point out that I think a whole lot of problems the Christians face deal with a self-focus. For example, if you take a look at insecurity, there's tons and tons and tons of insecurity that we see uh, in the church and in church relationships, breaking down relationships and harming them and stuff. And that's really just a self-focus. What, 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 you know, everything is, what does this mean about me? That's, that's the basis of insecurity is, you know, if I, if you take, if Jed gives, Matt, a compliment, and I'm insecure. I think Jed doesn't like me. That's you know, it's just it, there's no logic to that. But that's how that works. Is uh, uh, everything somehow is relating to me in that sort of way? Uh, the same thing uh, applies if we're talking about that. That sort of, again, sort of that self focus. Um, if I'm beating up on myself, if I'm feeling sorry for myself, if I'm uh, focused on my sins and constantly wound up in uh, guilt and shame, again, that's a focus on me. It's a focus. I mean, yeah, you could say, well, you're focused on your sin and dealing with that and whatever else, but it's really an internal focus. It's really about me and what am I up to, and I am the thing that makes this thing get better or worse as opposed to God. So we do want to move away from that self-focus. We want to move away from where we're the center of of, of the uh, attention. But let me give you sort of a very quick three-step process, and I'll let these guys unpack this a little bit more. Um, first thing I want to give you is sort of a prescription to, to try and follow through with what God is telling you to do, because this is what the Lord's trying to tell you to do is learn to love yourself. The first thing I want to tell you to do is to stop judging yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul says that, you know, I don't judge all these other people. And he says, I don't even judge myself. Uh, and I think that's a big verse uh, for us to look at, because in reality, a lot of us, there, a lot of Christians I know are not judgmental. They would never say mean and judgmental things to other people, but they'll judge themselves real, real harshly. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, we, we have to get away from that. We have to get away from judging on ourselves. Now, we need discernment to know when we're doing right stuff and when we're doing wrong stuff. In fact, the more of that you can get, the better. 
But in terms of condemning yourself for the stuff that you recognize that you're doing wrong and judging yourself, that actually is going contrary to what God's trying to tell you to do. If you're judging yourself, forget about all the other whatever. You're going to be the focus of your own whatever, and, and you're not going to have a healthy perspective on this. So step one is to stop judging yourself. Step two is, yes, develop uh, an appreciation and a love for you and what it is that you bring to the table. Uh, you're not a perfect person. You, you don't, you know, you have your faults and your bad habits and I have mine and all of that, but you do have stuff that's unique about you, that stuff that you bring to the table. You ought to be able to celebrate that, enjoy it, uh, and to recognize that, uh, that God finds you worthy of his love. Therefore, uh, you can be in agreement with him on that. And I, so I think that's sort of the big second step. The third step that I would have for you on that, and the final thing I'd say is to move beyond that sense of self-love into uh, a, a recognition of uh, uh, being hidden with Christ in God, as the Bible would put it, to move past that sense of being separate out from God, but a focus of recognizing you're you're at one with God. I'm talking some you know some deeper theological concepts here. But the idea is that you and God are one and that he makes you whole and that you're, you're, he is the vine and you're the branch. So seeing yourself as something separate out and having an opinion of yourself separate from this whole larger picture uh, you know, uh, is, is getting you further away from recognizing that we want to be lost in that connection with God and uh, to find our sense of fulfillment and self-worth in that. Absolutely, Lee. Well, I love all the things that Glenn said, and I do think that there's a huge propensity that people have to to hearing certain theology that is sound and good, and then extrapolating out from that things that aren't true. So yeah. you know, we 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 hear um, in in biblical theology that that uh, we we did not earn a relationship with God because we are sinful and polluted, and He had to come and have grace on us, and we couldn't we couldn't earn that relationship. He had to give it to us for free. And what some people do is they take that true biblical stance, that true piece of theology, and they extrapolate out from that. Well, that means I am worthless, and. And a lot of people do that kind of thing, but that's not the logical con- conclusion. It is true that that I needed to be saved and that I don't have what it takes to make this life go on my own and that everything that I have is given to me as a gift from a loving father, but that doesn't mean I'm worthless. And I think that part of moving into a good and healthy view of who you are, I know for me, it's been uh, there have been a couple of ingredients, and I love the steps that, that Glenn talked about in there, and the thing I would tack on to the end of that is... And this is something that the, the guys that I work with at my church and uh, and and the folks in, that are on staff at Mission USA, the, these two organizations do this as well as any organization I've ever been around, and that is find people who are uh, who have a strong walk with the Lord, who love you, who respect you, who are who have your back and are on your side, and let them encourage you, and listen to that encouragement. Uh, the the folks that I work with, uh, the guys that I'm I'm pastors with, we spend a lot of time praying for each other and encouraging one another and building each other up. And the cool thing about that is, is that my the my teammates can see stuff in me that I can't see about myself. 
And what I want to do, because the enemy is going to lie to me about who I am. He's going to tell me I'm worthless. He's going to tell me, I'm, you know, that, that I don't bring anything to the, into the mix and all that kind of stuff. And my friends who have my back who, and who see things in my life, they can tell me the things that I need to hear about myself. And I, I love that, that that same aspect is present in the Mission USA staff guys as well. They have meetings where they get together, they pump each other up, they, they specifically look each other in the eye and encourage one another about, this is something I love about you, this is something I see in you. You want to have those kinds of relationships in your life, people that encourage you, who can see the truth of the good stuff in you. And then the other thing I would say is... When you go to the scriptures, one question you ought to be asking yourself when you go there is, Lord, I want you to tell me who I am to you, and then let him tell you. For instance, if you go to the book of Ephesians and you say, Lord, I want to know who I am to you, and you start reading Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to find out all kinds of stuff about who the Lord says you are to him. It's so cool that he chose you, that he wanted you, that he adopted you, and you just think about those words, that, you've been, that you were wanted and picked and adopted, and all the things that those words mean. It says in verse 8, I think, of Ephesians 1 that, that he saved you according to his wisdom and knowledge. In other words, you were a good idea. You were a good bet. There's a place in Psalm 45 where it says that he is, that the, the king is enthralled by your beauty. It's like, it says in a, in a parable that Jesus told that you were a treasure, that he gave up everything to find. And so another thing I would say is get people around you who have your back, who love you and can encourage you and tell you things about yourself that you can't see in yourself. And two, when you go to the scriptures, ask the Lord specifically to tell you who you are to him. Ask him to encourage you as well. And listen to those voices over the voices of, you know, the voices of insecurity, the voices of the evil one who, who try to lie to you. Absolutely, Jed. Well, sis, thanks for your question. Thanks for writing into us. And um, I'm sorry you're going through a rough time. You know, you, you said that you find it hard to love yourself, and um, and I've been there. I, I can definitely relate. I know what that's like. And the truth is that if you're finding it hard to love yourself, the, the odds are are pretty high that people have been pretty um, awful to you. Um, that's how that tends to work out. And um, if you've had people be real uncool to you in your life, I'm, I'm really, really sorry for that. And we love you, and we're praying for you. I think a big part of the answer to your question and kind of how do you love yourself, it has to do with what it means to love anybody. And what it means to love somebody is to be devoted to their good. That, that's actually what it means to love somebody. And um, so if you're going to love yourself, that means that you have to be devoted to what's good for you. So the next question is, um, well, how do we know if something's good for me? And the answer to that is to figure out where does this thing lead? Because there's a big difference between stuff that we uh, like or don't like versus things that are actually good for us. I'll give you an example. I had a, a dentist appointment earlier this week, and I hate going to the dentist because I've had problems with my teeth my whole life, and it's always... It's never good news, and it's never fun. Um, but if I don't do that, all of my teeth will fall out of my head. So even though I don't want to do it in any way, shape, or form, it's good for me to go to the dentist. So because I love myself, I do that. Now, um, I have other things that I kind of want to do but aren't good for me, so I need to say no to them. I'll give you an example. I have maybe people that I'm related to, and um, – they can be pretty uncool about stuff. And because, you know, I'm just trying to keep the peace, I want to just play along. 
you know, I want to, you know, they're they're being mean and being, you know, uncool, and I want to say, hey, well, you know, besides and so forth. But it isn't good for me to do that. Um, it's what I want to do because it's the easy option, but it actually isn't good for me. The, the, what's good for me is to either speak up and say something or leave and go somewhere else and be around people like Lee's talking about that can build me up and encourage me. And the point of that is to get to a place like Glenn is talking about where I can kind of forget about myself and, and just you know go and, and love other people. But all of that starts, you can't take care of other people until you yourself have been taken care of. And the truth is that the only person who who can decide that you're going to be taken care of is you. And that starts with deciding that you're going to pursue the things that are good for you. So that means good relationships. That means good environments. Um, that means good rest. That means uh, good hobbies, good friends. Uh, but that's, practically speaking, a lot, particularly the start of what it means to love yourself, is to, is to decide, I'm going to be devoted to what's good for me. That doesn't necessarily mean the stuff that I want, um, and it doesn't necessarily mean... Um, it doesn't mean avoiding stuff I don't like and doesn't mean pursuing stuff I do like. It means putting my brain and some prayer into figuring out what actually is good for me, what leads me to good places, and then making the decision to pursue those things. That's a great point. All right, we can move on to our next question here. This came into our email address. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, we'll give you the ways you can get in touch with us. This came into our email from our friend James. It says, When I was young in Christ, I read about how Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac. The servant prayed a very specific prayer to find a wife for Isaac. I tried to apply the same story to my life and prayed a specific prayer, hoping that God would show me who to marry so that I would know that this is who he wants me to marry and that I'm in his will. Years later, I'm ready to take my relationship with a girl I really like to the next level, but this prayer is itching my brain. I pray, and I'm not sure if I hear God telling me that it's okay because it was a silly prayer or to hold on and be patient. I feel like it was a silly prayer anyway, now that I look back. At the same time, I have a small bit of faith and hope that this specific thing could happen. Was this prayer silly? Should I let go of this prayer? Lee, can you kick us off? Absolutely. Um, James, thanks for writing in to us. Thanks for your question. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I think about this, uh, this, the story of Abraham and Isaac and this servant, and it's a weird it's a weird thing. Abraham, for those of us, for those listeners who've never heard it, Abraham, it's in Genesis 24. Abraham is about to die and he wants a son for his, he wants a wife for his son, Isaac, but he doesn't, he, he's real specific that he doesn't want uh, Isaac to, to marry any of the people that are living around in the, the land of Canaan where they are. So he tells the servant, go back to the people where we came from and find a wife for my son, Isaac there. The, the servant goes back and then he prays this really specific prayer about a water jar and all this kind of stuff. And then this girl, you know, this girl, Rebecca comes up and the prayer is answered. She comes back and marries Isaac, the whole thing. And so, you know, look, and I'm sure there's probably a lot of, of young Christian folks who've prayed these kinds of prayers before they see this. And it's like, whoa, you can pray a prayer and then you get this wife in this miraculous way and stuff. And the thing that I would say is, uh, the, the, the thing that I really specifically want to talk about in this question is where you say, I want to know, you know whether or not this is who I'm supposed to marry and whether or not I'm in God's will. You know, and I'm, I'm all hung up on this prayer I prayed. Was that a stupid thing to do or not? Here's the thing. If you're in a relationship and you want to know whether or not you're in God's will, number one, the very fact that you care about whether or not you're in God's will puts you in the minority. 
in your relationship. Um, just being in a relationship with somebody and saying to yourself, I want to make sure that I'm doing this God's way, that is a huge, huge and awesome thing. So you want to start there by saying, that that's good to say, I want to know that I'm in God's will. So you need to take that to him and say, Lord, I want to do this well. I want to do this relationship in the way that you want me to. I want it to progress in the way that you want, want it to. And what I would say is don't get hung up on whether or not, you know, this relationship is wrong because maybe you're missing out on the specificity of some prayer that you prayed a long time ago. What I would focus on is this piece now where how do I handle this relationship in such a way that I'm in God's will. Amen. In other words, how do I, how, how do we, how, how do we uh, take care of our business? How do we set boundaries about our physical life? How do we deal with communication as we move towards courtship and engagement and maybe marriage and the whole thing? Or maybe even, it, because here's the deal, whether or not this relationship ends in marriage or whether or not you decide at some point, you know what, we're going to, we're, we're going to part ways and stuff. You can do this, whatever, whatever, wherever you are, in whatever stage of rela- dating relationship, whether you're dating or courting or engaged and then finally married, you can do every piece of that right in the will of God. It doesn't have to be the person you marry, the person you not marry. That's not the thing that determines whether or not you're in God's will. I think a lot of times young people think, the only way to know if I'm in God's will is, do we get married? But you can be in God's will in all kinds of scenarios. You can be single and be in the will of God and living the singleness in the way that God wants you to. So I think that's the main thing is going to the Lord, talking to a mentor, talking to your friends who have a strong walk with the Lord, talking with this girl that you're dating and everything and finding out how do we live this moment today where we are in the way that God wants us to in in this relationship. I think that's the key piece. And I wouldn't get too hung up on whether or not I did something stupid or silly or I made a mistake that somehow doomed something in the future or faded us this way or that way. Finding out whether or not you're in God's will is a huge and important thing, and it puts you in the minority. I think it's awesome, James. So thanks for your question, man. It's a fantastic word. Jed? James, thanks a lot for your question, man. And I definitely agree with everything Lee said to you. Um, bro, as I read your question, there's a word that jumps out to me, and that's the word courting. You say that you, you're ready to take your relationship with a girl you really like to the next level, um, and I'm quoting you here, from friendship to courting to eventually marriage. And the thing is, um, and I could be wrong, and if I am, you can write in and let us know, but most of the time when Christians use the word courting, they mean it in a very specific context. Um, it means they've been reading very, very specific Christian books um, and getting a lot of ideas from those books. Is it the good books? Jeff? No, it's, it's not the good books. I see. Um, and bro, here's the thing. And, and I think you're other than this podcast, you're, you're likely to get this advice almost nowhere else, but, uh, we got three married dudes, um, all with good marriages, um, who all agree. You got to lighten up, man. Yeah. Um, if you want a good dating life, if you, if you want a good marriage, you got to lighten up. Um, it, being, being tense, being uptight will not get you where you want to go. One of the things that you see, and, and here's what I want to be clear on, bro, is I know you've got a heart to get this right. And I respect that. And we all do. There's yeah. a lot of people uh, don't care. Uh, they're not, you know, uh, like Lee saying that, you know, the fact that you're, you care about trying to be in the Lord's will, that puts you in a minority. Um, and we respect that. And I know the Lord respects that. The, the thing that can feel a little bit counterintuitive is, we're so used to thinking that anything that's important, we got to do it just right. It's got to be just so. We've got to yeah. dot every I. We got to cross every T. And man, that's actually not a recipe for a happy life. 
Um, that's not a recipe for a happy dating relationship. It's not a recipe for a happy marriage. If you can dig it, being able to be calm, being able to be relaxed, being able to say, hey, let's just take this five minutes at a time and see what happens. That's actually a big part of how you have, how you have a peaceful and healthy life so, and yeah. relationship and marriage and, and, and you know, a life together. So how do we, how do, we do that here? I, I think the way that we do that here is, first of all, I like the fact that you're bringing up the idea of trying to hear what God has to say. I think that's really good. But here's the thing. None of us hear God perfectly. There's, there's no such thing. And that's a skill that you get better at. Here's the yeah. other thing. Trying to hear God on who you should marry is about the hardest thing you can try and hear God on ever. Yeah. It's not to say you shouldn't try. It's not to say right. it's a bad idea. But um, we may want to note that's going to be very, very, very difficult to hear God well on, particularly if I'm relatively new to trying to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So I want to give myself a lot of grace on that. Um, what I don't want to do, which I suspect that you're doing to yourself, is to say, well, I feel like I'm hearing some things, but not other things. But if I go against anything I've heard, that's like being disobedient, and right. I don't want to do yeah. that. And yeah, we, can't, right. we can't do that, man. That's, that's, to quote Admiral Akbar, that's a trap. So we absolutely positively cannot that, do that. That's a, that's a nerd reference for the nerds out there. That, that is. You're all welcome. <laughs> And he slightly misquoted it because there's nothing nerds like more than pointing out slight misquotations. What did I get wrong? And I think it's, it's a trap, isn't it? It's a trap. Oh, you're totally right. You're totally right. We uh, were giving you the out of you being very smart to have done that intentionally, and you kind of blew that. Sorry, it, everyone. Sorry. It, <laughs> sorry, guys. If he, had, if he had started an outdoor store, he would call it It's a Tarp. And <laughs> Fit saves it. It's good. It's very nice. Sorry, everyone. Okay. Now, uh, sorry. Sorry. Stop, all right. Stop doing the Pete voice and answer the question. <laughs> the nerd outrage has subsided. All right, so here's the thing, man, is um, it's good to be trying to listen to the Lord, and you, you want to do that, and you want to do that with a lot of stuff. The more you do that, the better, the better you'll get at it. But in the meantime, the, the most godly thing we can do is to relax, uh, to take it five minutes at a time. Dude, if you've got a Christian gal and you say, man, I'd like to get to know her better, I'd like to build an intentional relationship, go do that. You're not committing to marry her. And one thing, bro, with respect, I'd like to submit, get rid of this idea of courting. Um, because you're putting pressure on yourself that doesn't need to be there. Um, this idea of, you know, hey, I want to be pre-married to you. Yeah, don't uh, do that. That's, <laughs> you, uh, understand, man, marriage is one of those things in life um, uh, where um, you either are or you aren't. Right. There, there aren't gradations of it. Right. Um, you know, uh, if you didn't say I do and the preacher didn't pronounce you man and wife, you're not married. Right. Uh, and it's you're not like partially married or like, but we're pledged, we're betrothed. No, you're not. You're not. Uh, there, there's fully married and not at all. Right. Um, and so I'd encourage you, man, you can use the word courting if you want, but let go of that idea. There's yeah. friendship. There's figuring out if there's a romantic thing there. There's preparing for marriage, which is also called engagement. And then there's marriage. Right. That, those are what we have. I think it's a great idea. If you've got a gal you're interested in getting no better, she loves Jesus, you love Jesus, get together, man. You know, uh, uh, um, figure out what it would look like just to take it to the next level for, you know, the, the, the smallest little step before you. You know, grab a mm -hmm. cup of coffee, say, I like being around you, I like hanging out with you. Um, you know, uh, uh, can we go uh, uh, help at the food shelter together? Together. Right. Um, but dude, don't be afraid to take those next steps. Being relaxed, being at peace, that's what you want, and that's what will actually help you hear God better anyway. This is one of those cases you need to lighten up, not tighten up. That'll be the best possible thing you can do for everyone involved. Amen. Totally, Glenn. Yeah, James, thanks for the question. And also, you know, we're 
we're super stoked that you found a nice lady and you know, you're interested in her and she's interested in you and things are ready to move forward. Uh, first thing I would say is wanting this is not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that may be, I, I sense that there may be a little bit of that. I'm, I'm a little worried and nervous that I want it and I may get it and that might be bad. Um, here's the thing is, uh, God wants to bless you. He wants to hook you up with the good stuff. In fact, I think the spiritual journey is supposed to feel like a situation where you enjoy the journey and you enjoy the destination. Uh, the thing that the world offers is, uh, the sort of this quick pleasure with a, a really heavy consequence later. Uh, and you don't mind cause you're getting the pleasure now. Uh, but the things of God really involve uh, a, a, a fulfilled and pleasurable life now, and later it pays off into something even better. So uh, wanting it is not wrong. Um, I think the, the right thing you want to do here is to put this relationship in God's hands. Uh, forget about the thumbs up or the thumbs down for right now. Yeah. Uh, let's say to God, uh, 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 you know, if you want to send me a sign, you want to give me a message or whatever, show me that this is a bad idea. I'm totally open to that. But, uh, for right now, uh, what I want to do is, is spend some time with this young lady in a romantic environment and see what happens. But I want this relationship to be dedicated to you, Lord. I want you to be in charge. I want to put you in the driver's seat. I want this to be the kind of relationship you want it to be uh -huh. so that, even if this isn't meant to work out long-term, even if things don't, you know, progress in a good way in terms of a relationship, that at least it will be glorifying to you in the meantime. You know, it'll be what you want it to be. So we could just make that decision right now, and then we know, okay, this is, you know, a kosher type of deal. We don't, we don't have to feel like this might be some creepy crawly sin or whatever. Second thing I would say along those lines is to point this relationship in the right direction. Here's what I mean by that is what Jed is talking about is the difference between getting all this specific information about specifically what I'm trying to do, which really requires a deeper relationship with the Lord where you've done a lot of listening over a long period of time where you can get that sort of detail versus getting the big picture, you know, thumbs up and thumbs down of am I heading in the right direction? So think of it like this. When I get in the uh, well, I do the GPS thing, you know, to get where I'm going and I'll have a specific destination in mind and I've got a location here and I don't really know the how to get from here to there. That's what the GPS is doing. <coughs> but what it does is usually when I'm putting in that information, I'm sitting in the middle of a parking lot. So it can't tell me to turn on this street or turn on that street. Cause I'm not on any street. I'm, I'm sitting in a parking lot. So the first thing it says when I, when it starts to give me directions is it says head West, uh, you know, that, that you're not even to a point yet where any of these directions would make sense, but just head where head in the direction of West, you're bound to encounter this street. And then we'll tell you from there. Uh, I want you to get that kind of information from the Lord of Lord, just give me a direction to head in here. Uh, I, and then get those details as you go so that you're you're sort of dialing that in and narrowing your focus down in on to what God wants you to do. So that little by little, you're getting information. Here's what I like about doing it that way is you're getting a constant flow of information from God rather than just a one big time God makes a ruling on it and then we just go our own way kind of thing. 
I want God to be involved in this process as we go along for that to evolve and grow and deepen and strengthen. So that's, that's the way that we want to do that. Finally, last thing I'll say about this is everything that God tells you, everything that you do to try and serve the Lord, it all works in sync. It's not as if God's going to give you some direction on head, you know, in this direction with this relationship, and it'll turn out that you're not supposed to be in the relationship. Uh, you know, if God has given you that that inspiration, if he's given you that direction, if he's helping you figure out how to make this thing as good as it can be, uh, you can know that you're on the right track and that there isn't some, you know, big awful punishment waiting for you or that you're way out of his whatever. Uh, you uh, are human. You make mistakes. You, you take wrong turns. So do I. That's how we learn. That's how we grow in this stuff. We, we do dating because it's it, the, the, the consequences of getting it wrong don't destroy entire families and lives and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's why we want to be, as Jed is saying here, relaxed uh, uh, and and enjoying it and learning from our mistakes and all that stuff and, and leaving all this in God's hands. That's ab- absolutely a great point. I will tack on to the end of this discussion. Um, uh, Lee reviewed it a little bit at the beginning, but the story uh, that James is referencing here in Genesis is the ser- Abraham's servant actually is at a well and essentially tells God, which is a dangerous proposition, I'm going to wait until someone, I'm going to offer the women who come up a drink from this well, and the one who says yes will be the one that I know you're telling me is the wife for uh, Isaac. So that's a very, as Glenn was pointing out, a very appealing story to those of us who just want to know things. That I think that's a lot of what you're pointing here, James, which is a perfectly natural idea is, what if I pick this thing and it's the wrong thing and then God curses me for the rest of my life because it was the wrong thing? As uh, Glenn is pointing out, that's not really the way the whole God thing works. Mm-hmm. So as Jed's pointing out, it's important to relax. The reason you can relax is because God does not will not spend the next 50 years punishing you with a crappy marriage because he did not Amen. make the clouds part and uh, you know point out to someone... It's not that you'll get married to this girl and there's this other girl out there who if you'd gotten married to her, marriage would have been super easy and great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, amen. Pretty much, it's not, you know, the you know obviously we all believe that God has picked your spouse for you because that's just kind of the way have, being an omnipotent being works. But the reality is any two people who love Jesus in a marriage, it's going to be a ton of work and... There's no shortcutting. There's no, there's no cheat code for life decisions that if you get this one thing right in the beginning, it just is all easy. So that can is one of those things that can help us relax as we go forward and stuff. All right, move on to our last question here. It came in from our friend Nicole to our email address. She says, I was reading a portion of scripture and it confronted me a little bit. It's Matthew 5, 17 through 20, and I'm going to read it out of the NIV here. It says, do not think this is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Nicole says, now this confused me because it sort of goes against a lot of what I've been taught and believe about Jesus. I thought we were no longer under the covenant of the Old Testament and therefore not under the strict laws found in the, like Leviticus. 
I know you've normally said that when you come across a scripture that sort of is the opposite of everything else that you've ever heard to not dwell on it, but I'm having some trouble with this one. Jed, can you kick us off? I can, and Nicole, thanks a lot for your question. Um, look, dude, we've all had a moment of reading something in the Bible and it just scaring the crap out of us. Oh, yeah, many uh, times. We've all had that moment of saying, well, what if I'm wrong about everything, now I'm screwed. <laughs> Doomed! Right. Doomed! And, and darling, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, one of the things that we want to do whenever we have that moment is we want to get some context about mm-hmm. what the heck this thing is. Because right. the thing, we said this recently on the podcast, and I think it really, really bears repeating, man, is the Bible is not a children's book. Um, right. The thing about children's books is they're constantly trying to make sure you know exactly where you are. You know, and you know yeah. who the good guy is, and you know who the bad guy is, and you could never possibly lose your place. And the Bible isn't trying to do that. Jesus actually right. um, said a lot of, of difficult things, difficult to understand, difficult to figure out what he's talking about. Some of that was intentional. So we really need to take a step back and get some context and, and figure out what the deal is. This is a part, Matthew 5 is what people refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it is a, a sermon, obviously, that Jesus gave to many, many, many people. Um, you know, they were all kind of gathered around. In fact, I'll read you the beginning of Matthew 5 so you have the, the context. Jesus saw the crowds, so he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, then he began to teach them. He said, and then you have the Sermon on the Mount. It's long. It's several chapters long. Um, but part of what's going on here, sis, is that Jesus is trying to prove a point. So in it's actually true today too, but in, um, in biblical times, there were sinners and righteous people. And the righteous people thought, you know, I'm pretty good at the pleasing God thing. Pretty awesome, pretty rad. And the sinners, they, they just suck. So, but it's cool to be me. And part of what Jesus was trying to drive home is all of you are sinners. Right. All of, every, every single one of you. you. You all, as Paul would later write, all of you fall short of the glory of God. And to show you what I mean, let's actually read on. So the verses you gave were verses 17 through 20. Uh, if we just keep reading a few verses later, Jesus said, um, you've heard it is said, do not commit murder. Here's what I say. Don't even be angry with your brother. Anyone who's angry with his brother will be judged. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Here's what I tell you. Don't even look at a woman in the wrong way. Anyone who does that has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, What Jesus is doing is he's putting down, he's saying, you guys think you have rules that you can figure out how to keep. You think that there's a system of righteousness and behavior in which you can work at it really hard and get it right and God will be impressed. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying to you is God's standard of holiness is so high you couldn't possibly satisfy it. Right. You could not possibly do it. Um, it would be easy for a church person to say, well, I've never killed anyone, so I have that going for me. Right. And Jesus' point is, yeah, but you've been angry at somebody and thought violent thoughts about them, and in God's eyes it's the exact same thing. And it'd be easy for a church person to say, well, I've never had an affair. I've never you know, slept with someone I wasn't married to. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but in God's eyes, that girl that you had lustful thoughts about, it's the same thing, man. You've, you've gone down that road already. Exactly right. You know, God's holiness is absolute. It's, it's you know, uh, uh, your um, middling attempts at good behavior are not impressive to him. The question that um, uh, the people then ask, the question that you're asking is, well, what then? What, what does all that imply? And I'd like to, to take you to Luke. This is chapter 18. And I'd like to take you to, uh, bum, bum, bum. That's a long chapter. I had it pulled up. 
This is professionalism in podcasting. That's what this is. So Jesus is talking to it. Uh, the term it uses is a rich young ruler. Um, and the rich young ruler comes to him and says, uh, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, how good are you at keeping the rules? And the rich young ruler says, I'm great at keeping the rules. I'm awesome. I'm so good. Right. Um, and Jesus says, cool, cool. That's awesome. And he says, now what about, uh, uh, what about the money thing? Um, how about just... You know, giving all that away so poor people can have something to eat. And it says that the rich young ruler went away very sad yeah. um, because he had great wealth. And then Jesus makes a comment. He says, how hard it is for the very rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the important part. The people that are standing around in that moment say to Jesus, who then can be saved? Right. In other words, they're saying, you've just set an impossible standard. Right, right, Jesus, right. you've said anyone who's angry and thinks mean thoughts is guilty of murder. You've said that anyone who thinks lustful thoughts is guilty of adultery. You've said anybody who's greedy basically can't possibly squeeze their way into heaven. Um, Everybody wants to be rich whether they are or not. Exactly right. So we're, we're all greedy in our hearts, and you've right. already said that's what counts. And you've said, um, you know, that uh, uh, if I'm not, I'm not nearly as good at following the rules as all these church people, and you said they're not good enough. Right. So. What does that mean? We're all screwed, right? Who then can be saved? And this is the important part. Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Right. His whole point, the point of all this is you need God to save you. You mm-hmm. can't make it on your own. Right. There's a standard of holiness that you don't have a prayer of a chance of fulfilling on yeah. your own. It, Jesus said our, our righteousness had to exceed those of the Pharisees. Exactly yeah. right. In, in fact, he went all the way in, in that same Matthew 5. He says, therefore, be perfect right. as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right. That's that's my command to you. Right. Well, you're not going to pull that off. Right. Uh, Jesus knew you couldn't pull that off. So yeah. what was the point? The point was you need Jesus to save you. That was the point. And that's what Paul will say later on throughout the New Testament is you need a Savior. So what all this means, if you put it all together, Nicole, and these brothers are going to break it down for you, is not only is this not something to wig you out, this is something to take comfort in. This is saying you can relax. Jesus is saying the standard of what you'd have to do to be righteous in your own is so high and so impossible, don't bother. Just let him be your savior. Let right. him be your righteousness. Let him be the payment for your sins and the, the thing that gets you in good standing with God. That's why he went to the cross was to do that. And the alternative is you trying to generate in yourself a righteousness that you could never, ever in a million lifetimes pull off. That's actually good news. That's something to let you relax. There's peace to be had on that, and that's what he wants for you. Absolutely, Glenn. Yeah, and let me just pick up right where Jed was leaving off. If you read the Old Testament, you you look through particularly some of the you know the more detailed stuff of the the Old Testament law. What you have in there it are a lot of uh, uh, sort of lists of all these things that if you do this wrong, this is what you do, and it involves. Um, taking a sacrifice to the temple and or the synagogue, whatever, and making your sacrifice. So if you do this wrong thing, you sacrifice sheep. And if you do this wrong thing, you sacrifice two sheep or whatever the thing is, you make the sacrifice um, and you square that with the Lord. 
what Jesus is saying is, I am the lamb of sacrifice. Uh, the Old Testament must be fulfilled. It is not being taken away. It is not, as he's saying here, it's not being abolished and it's not being set aside. He's, Jesus is saying, I have come to fulfill this, meaning I have come to be the requirement here. I'm here to, your a sacrifice is required. I am going to be the sacrifice for all people for all time. And that's exactly what Jeb was talking about. This is, this is how we uh, get to a place uh, where God can accept us. And, and even though that we're sinners, even though we make mistakes, even though we're imperfect, uh, we still have this forgiveness because the sacrifice has already been made uh, on our behalf. So when Jesus says, uh, that no one should abolish the Old Testament. That's what he means. Don't. I, I'm not. I'm not contradicting the Old Testament. I'm not saying that the Old Testament is wrong or bad in any way. Uh, as as Paul says later on, you know, if I didn't have that Old Testament, I would know. You know, I, I would be doing a lot of wrong stuff and and think that it's okay or that God might be okay with it. I read a lot of stuff about what God says about how we should treat the poor in the Old Testament. It gives me a very clear sense of God's character and his attitude and all of that. Uh, so Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to get you to do away with what's in the Old Testament. Uh, there are requirements in that Old Testament that I am meeting uh, within that so that that changes the nature of the relationship. Uh, but you are absolutely right, on, and, and this is, I'll, I'll kind of wrap up this part and send it over to Lee. Uh, you're right that there is a new covenant uh, that uh, Jesus brought in. And a covenant is just a fancy word, it's an agreement with a promise here. Uh, just uh, a Marriage is a covenant where you, you, you have an agreement to live together and you promise to have and to hold and return poor and all that good stuff. So it's, a, it's an agreement that we have with God. And... Um, that agreement is that he makes that sacrifice and and he uh that sacrifice is applied to our life to the sin in our life and it's a payment for that he sets us free and then we can enter into that relationship and our side of that is we spend the rest of our lives trying to make him lord of our life and giving him control much like what we we're talking about in the previous question of trying to give him uh the leadership in our relationships and leadership in our lifestyle and all those kinds of things uh, but you're also absolutely right that the nature of that covenant is what, when Paul was writing about it, he said, we no longer serve in the old way of the written code, but we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Uh, so what he means by that is we don't live according to that written code of the the old law because that has been fulfilled, and we have a new relationship with the person who fulfilled it, and what, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us and Scripture is saying to us is we don't want rules in a book to be the way that you follow God. We want you to just follow God. Mm -hmm. God wants to give you direct instruction. He wants to give you a, a, a direct uh, commands and teachings and encouragement and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the scripture can get you started on that, but you're meant to keep going with uh, your prayer life and get more detail and more specificity and all that. Uh, we don't want you to simply get a list of rules that you might read in the Bible and say, just live by that. That clearly is a change that uh, Jesus is ushering in. And so you're absolutely right. 
Uh, you've got the right take on it. It's it's really just the context of saying Jesus is fulfilling it uh, as opposed to doing away with it. Absolutely, Lee. Um, I totally and completely agree with where these guys are going on this, and I'm just going to take it... Just, just add something onto the very end of that. Take it one step further, and that is, so what does this all mean? Because everything you've heard is exactly right in setting the context and finding out what it means that Jesus said, I was fulfilling everything in the Old Testament that you could never do, that nobody ever did at all, that he fulfilled it all, and then he laid his life down to pay for us and to make us an offer. And what the Apostle Paul goes on to say is that because Jesus laid his own righteousness down, his own life down, he had traded places with us. He offered his record to take the place of our record. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, it says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, here's what that means. It means that if you've believed in Jesus, you have um, you have God's promise that the way that he sees you henceforth and forever is that you are not only forgiven for all your wrong, but that you are actually just as righteous as Jesus himself. What that means is when God looks at you, he looks at you as if you have lived every single moment of your life as beautifully, as purely, as righteously as Jesus would have done in your life situation. That's what that means. You have his righteousness on your account. You are just as righteous as him. What's cool is Jeb was saying that Jesus said your, your righteousness has to, has to uh, surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, I think that a lot of people who know Jesus still live their lives like a scribe and a Pharisee. And what that means is when they do well, when they feel like I'm following the rules and I'm doing good, they feel like, number one, God is pleased with me. Number two, I deserve for God to be pleased with me. Number three, I deserve for God to bless me and to be happy about where my life is. And then the flip side of that is, if there's somebody in my life who's not following the rules and keeping the stuff, then uh, I'm better than them and God is not happy with them and I have the right to judge them. But there's also a darker side to that, which is when I trip and fall and mess up and I don't follow the rules, then I should feel terrible about myself and I should feel like God is uh, upset with me and that God is, uh, he's disappointed in me and I should just heap all this guilt and then just feel as terrible as I can about myself to hopefully change my ways. Now, I think that when Jesus says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, what he's saying is exactly what Jed said, which is, let Jesus be your savior. Let him trade places with you. Let him give you his righteousness for free, and then come out of that old way and come into the new way of living, which is, if I do the things that God is asking me to do. If I, if I submit my life to God and I follow him and I'm, and I'm having a good day, yes, God loves me and all that kind of stuff. But if I screw up and I have a terrible day, God still loves me. Still. No change whatsoever. He's still happy over me. He's still smiling over my life. He still says, I am righteous in him. In other words, if I stumble and fall, I don't need to heap guilt on myself. I need to see myself the way he sees me, which is I am a righteous child of God because I have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't have righteousness when I do the right things. I have righteousness because God gave it to me for free. 
because yeah, Jesus man. was the only one who could keep all those old laws and rules. He did it. Therefore, no matter what I do, I am completely and totally righteous in the eyes of God. And if somebody else has believed in Jesus and they're stumbling and falling, they don't need me to judge on them. They need me to come alongside them and encourage them about who they are. They need me to pray for them. They need me to help them find a way out of the struggles and the problems that they're having. They need me to help them come in and and see something that'll help set them free. That's the kind of living a, a righteous life that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, that when we understand our freedom in the forgiveness we have in Jesus and the righteousness he gave us for free, that enables us to live in a whole new way. That's fantastic stuff. All right. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Remember these addresses for Bridgebox stuff, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox for the normal version, missionusa.com slash BBLY for the very special Lee Younger branded version, Matt at missionusa.com if you want to get both of those, and until the end of January, missionusa.com slash say that 100 if you want a free Bridgebox to see what it's all about. One more time we want to thank our friends from charleston david lauren joel Ooh. amy maya Ooh. or mia uh download into an editing program and delete as appropriate uh Ooh. laura and kelsey very cool we love hearing from you guys that was an awesome thing thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it message from the future beware of robots when i have had <laughs> enough and this life is too much and i just want to run away
Ooh.